when she started as CEO, she took it over at 10 million in revenue, which is great. She took it in six years, Michelle, to 573 million. Wow. Which is just remarkable. I mean, that's really uncommon, (laughs) right? But in the process of that, she completely bankrupted herself emotionally to the point where she needed to take a year-long sabbatical. And that's when she started working with me. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back to the show. Joining us today is Jennifer Love. She's an award-winning five-time entrepreneur and certified money therapist. Jennifer combined 17 plus years of experience building and working with consumer packaged goods and tech companies. And collectively she has raised, participated in, or advised in the raising of over $100 million. She's currently the visionary CEO of the Living Wealthy Institute, helping world leaders develop a healthy relationship with wealth, free from overwhelm and anxiety. Jennifer has a lot of actionable tips to share in today's conversation, along with some questions to be thinking about and exercises that we can put into effect to heal any trauma around our money story. We've covered money before, but this perspective goes really into the emotional aspects of our relationship to money. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Let's get into the show. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. So um, I know you describe yourself as a money therapist. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I've never heard that. I know we've talked about money mindset on the show before, but I would love to hear what, how you describe what it is that you do and what that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think it probably makes sense to go back in time okay. and take you on a bit of a journey to why money therapy and then what that is, um, if that works for you. Yeah, I would love it. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll go back in time to the three-year-old me and... I was standing in Oklahoma City in our home. We lived in Oklahoma at the time. And my brother was in his bedroom sleeping and I was standing in the hallway listening to my parents fighting in their bedroom with the closed door. And I could hear my father punching holes in the walls and standing there just, you know, not really knowing what to do. And before I knew it, my father's coming out. Um, storming kind of passed me and out of our life essentially at that point. And I'm looking at my mom sitting on the bed and she's crying and I go to her and I crawl up on the bed and sitting next to her are cut up credit cards. And she looks at me and she says, your father's leaving. He's not coming back and we don't have any money. And my father was an entrepreneur and owned a business. Um, And that was the day that we basically went from being rich to living in poverty for a while. Um, And it was through that experience that I watched my mother become financially disempowered. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I took on the story of, I need to help her. I need to save her, right? That became my own journey and my own work to do over time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really think it was 
watching my mother become disempowered financially and never really recover from that emotionally, psychologically, um, and the impact that that had in her life and on our lives. Um, you know, we went on to live in what what we ended up calling the ant house and the rat house, and we had all you know we kind of made fun and had fun in it and the experience of the transitions in our life. Um, but it was really interesting watching uh, this this experience of going from being rich to being in poverty mm-hmm. and, you know, figuring out how we're going to, you know, eat, for example. Um, and so that really made an indentation in my life. And what I began to make that mean in my own life, you know, my father um, left. I didn't see him again for for many, many, many years till the age of 19. Wow. And I took on the story of, you know, I was, I, I wasn't lovable or I wasn't good enough for him to stay. Um, right. Of course, that's not what that actually meant, but that's what it felt like. And that was what I was internalizing. And so I was also pretending and hiding. I was pretending and acting like it was all okay and I was okay. So because I didn't want to burden mom with more pain or more trauma. Mm. Right. And I also took on this little three year old me, took on, I got to save mom. I got to make it all okay somehow. And I was also pretending that I wasn't angry that my father walked out. Mm. Um, and so over time, this began to run in me um, in not so great ways. Um, I became a very successful entrepreneur very early. The age of 19 is when I first started. You know, I have two decades now of human behavioral and development psychology, which is not surprising because I wanted to figure out what the heck is going on in the world and with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. But uh, as I was going along here, you know, I was trying to quench a thirst for feeling lovable, for feeling good enough. And I was doing that through external sense of validation and work. And so I was working a lot. Um, I was working, in fact, in my 20s, I was working um, so much that I wasn't sleeping two nights a week. And I was drinking two pots of coffee a day. Mm -hmm. And I was becoming emotionally bankrupt in myself, even though what was in my bank account looked great, right? Mm-hmm. And and so this is what I see so many of us, um, so many of us women and leaders doing. We we are trying to get this external sense of I'm good enough, I'm lovable, the sense of validation which we believe exists somewhere outside of us. When actually the work that we need to do is is take back those keys reclaim our own power and realize that what we have and what we need is right inside of us. And so that's really what I do as a money therapist is that work. I've had to do it for myself. I've done it with thousands of leaders um, across the globe. And one client recently, actually just before the holidays, she uh, we were on a group call and she said, Jennifer, this year it's been like you're Michelangelo with a chisel and, I, and I'm the David. And you're just taking away everything that's not me. And and I smiled and it was such a great compliment. I felt such honor, you know, in what she was saying and how she was saying it. And and what I reflected back to her was like, actually, you're Michelangelo with the chisel and I've handed you the chisel and I'm showing you how to sculpt yourself and take away what's not you. Um, and so that's that's the work of being a money therapist. Wow. As you've crafted it. Have you, as you've crafted it, I, it's thank you for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And what I was sort of jotting down as you were speaking, you know, this, you took on, you were internalizing the situation with your parents and you had this high sense of responsibility and needing to pay it back, but first to do the work on yourself. And I think that's our journeys, you know, in life, a lot of these, you know, early wounds often shape the work that we do in the world. The reason I started this podcast was to help women love themselves and to reclaim their voices because, you know, you use the words shame and not feeling good enough. And I think that, um, for whatever reasons, whatever wounds, whatever experiences, so many women do struggle with that. Um, I'm curious, Jennifer, do you work specifically with women or do you work with men and women? Um, in you know, the, yeah, great question. The, you know, it's interesting. The first half of my career was primarily supporting the men. And in this in this season, it's been primarily women. Although I do support some men, I support couples as well. Um, couples in their relationship with money together. You can imagine what that might be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yes, women is my is my where my heart is, um, and and where I spend the majority of my time supporting. Okay, and. Um... I'm just curious, what are some of the challenges you're seeing? You know, that woman that, um, you know, said that you were the Michelangelo and <laughs> helping her, uh, you know, remove those those blocks. Tell us more about, how, you know, how it is that you work and, you know, what are the some of the common threads that you're seeing around the people that you help? Yeah, well, those those blocks is what I call the scar tissue. The scar tissue that I believe exists in the the different aspects of ourself, right? Because I believe that we have many different aspects. This isn't new information, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental, and the physical aspects, but they're all interrelated and they're all interconnected. And if we're only focusing on one aspect of ourself, we're missing the interrelationship and correlation between all the others, right? I call it the four aspects of humanity. Okay, And so that scar tissue is that toxic buildup of barriers, the blocks, the wounds, those destructive stories and narratives, those harmful beliefs, the addictions, right? All of the things that are um, interfering and destroying our natural life force. And, and so what I, what I see um, as a lot of the patterns is we, we perpetuate a state of suffering in our life. We normalize suffering. Mm. I see so many leaders that I work with, what has become um, normalized is suffering. And that looks like it all just feels so hard, right? Like I know the sacrifice has been great and I can see how empty and what an edge they're at, right? And it's like uh, they want to break through this cycle of it, like it has to be hard to make money because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be hard. Um, And I also see like the upper limits that are often um, created. Like there's, they feel like there's this plateau in their success. Like they just can't seem to get beyond to the next level or to the, whether that's revenue or capacity or projects um, or network or whatever it is, however that expresses itself and shows up. Um, and they feel completely anxiety, stress. It's just running the show. Um, and often that begins to express itself in um, extra baggage and pounds and inches on their body. Mm-hmm. Um, health concerns start to pop up. In fact, it's been interesting in, in my research that the majority of the leaders that I work with have something going on in their relationship with food, mm-hmm. whether that's an eating disorder, some kind of an addiction, 
um, or it's how their body is being in relationship with the food, whether it's leaky gut syndrome or some kind of a um, intolerance of some sort, uh, IBS, constipation, right? We're, we're in relationship with food in a really interesting way um, because of all of this as that, that's running the show in their body as well. Um, I find that a lot of the leaders have secrets and those secrets express themselves in different ways as well, whether that's hiding a shopping addiction or um, I had one uh, entrepreneur, she had taken out a hundred thousand dollar loan and didn't tell her husband about it. Um, I have another um, leader that I was working with this last year. She, she had actually taken her business from, it was a family business. Uh, she, when she started as CEO, she's, took it over at 10 million in revenue, which is great. She took it in six years, Michelle, to 573 million. Wow. Which is just remarkable. I mean, that's really uncommon, yeah, right? Sure. Um, but in the process of that, she completely bankrupted herself emotionally to the point where she needed to take a year-long sabbatical. And that's when she started working with me. And through that work, what what we began to really unpack, even though she had created the wealth for her family, she felt undeserving of it. And um, all she felt even indebted to her family, even though she was the one who had created it. And so there were things for her in this in the world of secrecy. You know, she she naturally is so incredibly generous in spirit. And that bumps up against how her father and how her family um, believes you should be generous. And so she was hiding a self-directed fund that um, she was funding in and she didn't want to share it with her family. So secrets show up and express themselves in a variety of ways with leaders. Um, And I also see that they're often pegged by perfection. It's a way of wanting to control and fix everything because one, they're afraid of rejection and they're also trying to save themselves. And we believe that if we can control it all, if we can, if we can be perfect, that we're going to somehow be safe emotionally and we'll feel better. And yet that's not really what happens. Um, and I also see a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs are kind of foggy and unclear and full of fear when it comes to um numbers when it comes to metrics and they just kind of want to hide they kind of avoid it altogether and yet as you and I know numbers and metrics and this kind of information is like a dashboard that helps inform how to make healthy decisions to be you know a really good financial steward uh, and so I mean there, there I could keep going um, but these are some of the ways in which I see uh the expression of money running through these entrepreneurs. It's so interesting. I mean, you talked about a few layers there, but you know, the first one you mentioned was a relationship around food with money, you know, or health issues that had to do with the gut or, you know, digestive issues. Um, And then secrets. I mean, this is pretty profound. It's, it's just, again, an interesting uh, perspective that I've, I've never sort of thought about or been aware of until this conversation. Um, I guess, you know, the way that you're approaching the work that you do is very unique um, based on your own experience. And then, you know, the men and women that you're attracting in on some level, maybe energetically, um, because of how you can uniquely help them sort of just 
chisel away at at those patterns of maybe I don't want to, I don't know, is self-destructive a little too hard? I mean, what word would you use? No, it is It is largely self-destructive, although really it becomes self-destructive because of the way it's expressing itself and how it's playing out. But really at the heart of that, underneath all of that self-destruction is really, I'm just trying to cope. I'm just actually trying to love myself yeah. and I just don't have the right tools and, and I don't know how to deal with the pain that I, I'm in. Mm-hmm. emotional pain. And I don't know how to deal with the belief systems that may or may not even be mine, but they're expressing through me. Um, yeah. Money's yeah. loaded. And it's so interesting because, I mean, uh, we all have our our relationship with money based on how it was discussed or not discussed, or, you know, yours was a very uh, traumatic uh, experience around, you know, how money can literally destroy a family and, you know, really impact uh, a person's self-worth. Um, so we, we sounded like you were going to say something, Jennifer. Well, you know, you're right. Um, and, and money is just, I believe that money is just this very neutral, very quiet thing, kind of like being out in space. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's what we bring to it. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes that what we bring to it is in our DNA. So we're bringing what our ancestors were bringing to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we can see that being expressed in the epigenetics world. And I, I've been getting more involved in some of that body of research. Um, we can look at like, okay, well, Uncle Bob, you know, he's a worrier. He's got the worrier gene, you know, and everyone in our family, we're kind of like worriers. We've got the worrier gene. And, and that's actually a real thing. Mm-hmm. There's a gene that's either the worrier or the warrior. Um, Is it and, actually either? Oh, There's yeah. No, it's just either warrior or warrior? Like you correct. Exp- that's fascinating. Okay. Yeah, Keep yeah correct. <laughs> yeah, you can, actually, you can actually get your DNA tested for are you the warrior or are you the warrior? What are um, you testing? What, what genetic code are you testing for that? I'm not you know, this. I'd have to look that up to uh, I don't have that top of mind. But yeah, yes, yeah. It's, it's one of our SNPs. And we can actually test for that SNP. And I'm, I have the warrior gene. <laughs> The warrior or the worrier? No, the worrier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that it has to control us, right? Right. It, it doesn't have to control us because so much of our, um, our, our genes and, and what's inside of us, what we've inherited, um, can either be reversed or not expressed. Mm-hmm. But, we have to, but we have to first understand what's even there. And not just in our genes, but in our belief systems, in our emotionality. And, you know, the, the little three-year-old me who was standing in, in the hallway listening to all this, and it became a very traumatic experience, of course. But when I did this work for myself, what I learned is that through it all, and, and wanting to take on and save mom, you know, and become the hero and how that, whew, man, how that ran <laughs> in yeah. me, yeah. right? And, and wanting to work hard for the love, you know, and to be good enough. Like really underneath it, what I learned was that I have this big, beautiful heart and I care deeply. Mm. And that I'm a fighter and a survivor. And that mostly I'm a lover with a heck of a lot of tenacity. And that I have the ability to create financial freedom in my life. And, and I use business as a tool for healing. Mm. And, and that 
I don't have to seek validation outside of myself because I have great capacity for building things, including armor and defense systems, which I did. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which so many of us do. Of we, create, we create these walls and these armors. And you know, what I what I refer to is I was I had crawled inside a transformer and I was operating the world inside a transformer. Um, and but we but that, but there is a there's a gift, there's a skill in that. And if we can find the gem, the gold in that, I, I like to say, you go harvesting for the gold in it all, right? If we can harvest for the gold in that, what I realize is that I have great capacity for creating and building. Wow. Okay. So, so maybe I just need new coping skills and tools. And maybe I just need to, to t- you know, touch base with that little three-year-old who was still hurting inside of me and who hadn't dealt with that repressed emotionality, right? And mm-hmm. so part of what I see that not only I've had to do and continue to do, like I continue to do my work. In fact, anyone who's listening, if you are working with someone, whether it's a money therapist or a coach of any kind, any kind of mentor, please make sure they're doing their work. If they're not, run hard and fast away. Mm, yeah, I understand. <laughs> right? Because we're all humans constantly evolving and developing mm. and we all need to be doing our work. And, and so this is the kind of work that we need to be doing so that we're unpacking the layers and putting down and surrendering and coming home to the truth of who we are. That's what it's all about, right? That last part, coming yeah. home to the truth of who we are. I love that. Um, I'm going to circle back just quickly. You know, when we were talking about the patterns, about the secrecy and the, the food and the digestive stuff, mm-hmm. and I use the word self-destructive. What I'm actually, you know, really feeling into is re- it's really more of a self-preservation. It's these coping yeah. protective measures that have then manifested in some physical or other form. So I'm curious, Jennifer, when you work with your clients, how do you help them identify these emotional blockages and start healing those scars? I'd love mm. to get tactical a little bit for people listening who are identifying or sort of aware that they have some relationship with their money or success or loving themselves that is holding them back or making them feel shame or not good about themselves. Yeah. Well, there's a whole process I use. I call it the living wealthy model. And the first step of this model is to identify what's there. It's to become aware, right? Because the living wealthy model is designed in a way to help create a full metamorphosis of reconnecting you to your natural state of being wealthy and in relationship with money. And so we first need to identify and unpack um, what is the spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical scar tissue that's creating those upper limits and keeping you a prisoner inside of yourself. And so a great, a great way and a big part of this, I, I use a very Socratic style in nature for this step. Um, it's a lot of inquiry and contemplation. And a great for, for the listeners who are curious and want want to start for themselves. A great way to start is by asking yourself a simple question like, what am I avoiding because I'm afraid to look? Mm. Now, that's a really simple question. It might seem like, well, that's just really like basic. And it is. And yet, in the simplicity, we find so much magic and gold. Because even though it's simple, it's not necessarily easy. And when we identify what we're avoiding because we're afraid to look, well, that gives us a lot of clues into where to go from there and what to begin to unpack and look at. So there's a whole process for identifying what's there. And then we need to begin to reconnect 
to living wealthy, to that natural state of being and clear away that scar tissue. And there's a variety of ways depending upon what's happening inside a person. And so there's a patience that's required. There's a, there's a level of acceptance of what is that's required um, so that we can be in the practice field to end what I call emotional poverty and ease that anxiety. Anxiety is huge for women entrepreneurs and leaders. And, and by easing that anxiety, we can then step into that life of empowered financial decision-making and the wholeness of self. And then we can, from that place, begin to embody embody the truth, embody who we are, and, and, and after the shedding, right, and be fully rewired and in the flow of living wealthy. Well, I know that obviously, you know, anybody who's done therapy, it's deep work. There's no quick fixes, and it requires curiosity and a willingness to move through hard things. Um, so I don't want to oversimplify or anything, but, you know, again, I love getting tactical um, and being able to offer, you know, the women listening with just some things that they can start doing. So, you know, I'm curious when you were on your journey, was there a book or a resource or something mm. that kind of sparked like your, this awareness where you're like, oh, wow. And it really made a difference for you, you know, that you could share. Yeah. One of my favorite books, I actually, I actually gift this book to every single client. It's called The Untethered Soul by Michael oh, Singer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a great, um, regardless of, you know, how you see or interact in faith or spirituality or God, it doesn't matter. Um, this is just such an eye-opening book about the inner workings of the mind. And he does, I believe, such an, an excellent job of describing that kind of internal <laughs> dialogue. And um, and I think that's a really great place to start um, is with his book, The Untethered Soul. Do you have your clients journal? Do you have them do, you know, because yeah. when you talk about feeling the feelings, sometimes I know with emotional eating, it's a way of suppressing emotion. It's just the overwhelm. It's a way of almost trying to self-soothe yes. uh, or not feel, right? And yes. so I'm just curious, um, or, you know, keeping secrets creates shame. You know, there's all this stuff kind of eats away at you. Not to you know, to work, you know, we're using the word food, but it does eat away at you, right? So it does. Yeah. Um, journaling. What 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 tools um, come into play here that can benefit somebody who wants to go deeper and really start getting curious about maybe some of their stories, some of their patterns, some of their blocks. Yeah, yeah. Contemplation um, is a big part. It's a big practice that I use, and so contemplation through journaling. Um, there's a whole set of contemplation questions that I use. If someone who's listening wants that list, they can go to my website, jenniferlove.com, and I'll send it to them. Um, But contemplation and then journaling is a great way. I also use this um, tool that I call the inner critic Mm -hmm. and judge judge law um, Mm -hmm. log. The inner critic and judge log. I got that out. Um, and so it's a process of for over two weeks logging what your inner critic is saying to you every day. Getting and hyper aware of, of that voice. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What is that inner critic saying? 
you know, and you can use this around, you can use it like as a general, like what the inner critic is saying, but you can also use it in a specific way. Like, you know, if you're wanting to deal with your, your issues with food, for example, you could do it specifically around food, or if you're in debt, you could do it specifically around, you know, how you're relating with debt or money or anything, right? So you can, you can use it to hone in, but there's a really powerful way to unpack that. And you get to see like, wow, look at how this is really expressing through me. And there's a process I use to, to help compost the unhealthy, unwholesome inner critic voice into a wholesome voice. That's part of the work that I do. But even just logging it, the, the act of simply logging that and looking at that for yourself is a powerful act that gives you a lot of information on what's running the show for you and what to do about it. That's great. Are, are there any prompts, any like leading questions you can, you know, you use the word contemplation to use to go deeper inside to contemplate whatever it is? Yeah, I mean I go back to that that first one. What am I avoid what am I avoiding because I'm afraid to look? That seems um, that that's a powerful one, yeah. Yeah, that's a really powerful one. Another one um uh to to actually even ask someone else is what do you see in me that you think I don't? Oh. I like that. <laughs> I do think people, you know, when you're trying to get clear on maybe career path or life path, getting feedback from others. It's so interesting because oftentimes our, the things that we take for granted that we're so naturally good at, we don't even value or appreciate. So mm-hmm. I, I like being able to reach out to um, someone else. Well, it's interesting in the beginning you were, when you were sharing your story, you were talking about wanting to feel lovable and your name is Jennifer Love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a beautiful name. And it's, I, I actually, it's, maybe sounds, I don't know. I I actually don't think names are, uh, I think they have meaning too. I don't think they're coincidence that we have certain names. Um, My married name is Lamoureux in French, Lamoureux, the one who is in love or the lover. And I think that's our journey is to to learn to love ourselves. Um, What did you uncover to learn to love yourself, Jennifer, through the work you've done? And I know it's an ongoing journey, um, but I'd love for you to share. I think so much of it has come back to a few things. One, I I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it's harvesting the gold. Mm. And, and that's through a practice of gratitude. Mm. Because even in the darkest of moments, you know, the, the day I'll never forget the day that I resigned um, from my chocolate company, Nidmore, as CEO, and we, we hired a new executive team to come over. I'm still a shareholder, but hired a new executive team to come in. And and that was a dark day for me. You know, there was a lot of internal fighting with my business partner and the investors. And I just, I was just, I'd had enough. Jennifer, Um, did you start the company or did you get hired on as the CEO? No, I was a co-founder. And what was it called? Nibmore, N-I-B-M-O-R. Okay. Yeah. It's great chocolate. I I love our company. (laughs) And I just, I just, it, it just wasn't for me to continue in management any longer. Okay. And so we brought in, you know, another, an, another group to, to run the, the company for us. And that was a, a fantastic decision. And it was also very hard mm-hmm. to make that decision. I mean, when you birth something like, you know, a company that grows as big as, as Nidmore did, um, it was a dark day. 
And so, you know, I remember walking, I was in New York City at the time, and I walked out of that that meeting and I walked into Grand Central Station. And I sat myself down, I pulled out a piece of paper and a pen, and I just started writing. You know, I started writing like, what are the things that I did that I need to forgive myself for? Mm. What are the things that I I learned um, that I can take forward? What are the gifts and the lessons? Right. And I don't know, I probably sat there for a couple hours writing all of this down. And and there was so much gold in it. And it really was it, it was a process of shifting the heaviness. It was a process of also seeing the magic that I was able to bring forward into the, you know, the next season of my career in the in the ventures that I ultimately, you know, stepped into. And and this is a practice that I've been doing for a very long time. It's a self-love practice of harvesting the gold, even in the dark, mm. in the darkness, in the heavy times, right? And we're coming out of 2020. Whoo, yeah. um, you know, what a practice to, to reflect on what, are you, what did you harvest, you know, in 2020? What a self-loving thing to do. Um, and, and, and it's a way of really self-accepting. It's a way of also looking at... Um, what do I need to clear? You know, and the in the question of what do I need to forgive myself for? You know, there were some things I needed to clear. And this is a big thing I do with clients. You know, like we, I go through a process of understanding um, how we're playing out what I call the three-headed drama llama. And and from that, we, we look at um, what are the things in our life that are weighing us down energetically and like heavy boulders or rocks in our pocket that we're carrying around? And we can just be like, I just need to clear this. And I have a whole process, a whole clearing letter process that I walk clients through to be able to put it down and surrender all of that, all that shit that's weighing us down that we're carrying on our backs that we don't have to anymore, right? And so by clearing, by um, harvesting the gold, and, and one of the other things I do so much for as a self-loving act is to spend time in nature because mm. I find nature is just such a grounder. It grounds me. It connects me with myself. It connects me with what matters. Um, and it connects me with my creativity. Uh, and one more thing yeah. I'll just add, and, and that's pendiculation. Okay, word <laughs> I've never heard. <laughs> Yeah, pendiculation. So pendiculation, we see um, animals do this, and you know, it's that kind of like that stretch. You know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. like that's, a lion or something. That's or right. Yeah, right. It's, but it, but it's a, it's a resistive stretch. It's pendiculating, mm-hmm. and so pendiculating, I do. I also do it in relationship with breath, and and I breathe. Um, oxygen into parts of my body as I'm pendiculating to help me get access or to help relieve pain um, and just open myself up when I'm having a moment of fear or a moment of anxiety or a moment where I'm just like, my body's not feeling great. I pendiculate. And and that for me is also a great act of self-love. I, I love that. So you're breathing into areas that either need more love or attention and what right. how does what does pendiculation look like i mean i'm picturing a lion you know doing that like deep stretch with their arms is it something like that can yes you exactly so, so you can imagine like actually taking your arms above your head yeah i'm kind of, I'm kind of doing it with my right yeah, arm right now yeah. and then you literally resist as you're bringing your arm down you're resisting against it 
and and it's actually opening you up. Um, it's it's actually accessing the thymus um, in that particular stretch, which is our center for healing um, and immunity is the thymus. So as we're as we're pendiculating that, like I'm like literally creating resistive force as I'm bringing my arm back down. It's it's opening up and it's stretching my my shoulder area and parts of my back area and it's giving me more access and it just feels so good. Mm-hmm. That's I, beautiful. I, highly, I highly recommend it. I, I love that. This is a first on the show. I love that. <laughs> Never heard that. I love it. Um, I'm just going to ask you just more out of curiosity to, you know, since the work you do goes so deep, just wondering, manifesting affirmations, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I believe, I mean, I believe I am a manifester and I believe that we can pull um, rather than having to push. I believe that we can pull and attract like very much like a magnet mm-hmm. energy to us. Yeah. However, we've got to be clear because we're always manifesting. Yeah, We're always manifesting. We're manifesting things we don't want. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is right. So or true. things that we do want. True. And and so or things what, what, that we think we want. That that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. And and so the part of the work of manifesting is actually being clear in yourself, being a clear channel, um, and attuning to a vibration much like a tuning fork. Mm-hmm. And so a tuning fork. Uh, I wish I could show you the little video, but a tuning fork. If you put another tuning fork that's not vibrating pretty close to it, you'll see the other tuning fork begin to vibrate mm-hmm. and then they're not touching. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. And so, and so this is what we're doing. We're all energetic beings. We're all running energy, like the electricity that goes through um, the, the electric lines that power your home. Like there's energy you can hear it. It's buzzing, right? There's mm-hmm. energy, there's energy all around us. We are energetic beings. And so if we're tuning ourselves to the energy frequency that we want to be running, which requires us to move from a from scarcity or fear into a space like you talk about Michelle of love mm-hmm. then we can attract and tune others to our energy awesome. and so that that is the kind of manifesting i like to do mm-hmm. um, affirmations can be powerful um, i like affirmations I like the one of the affirmations I love the most, but I, but use your name in front of it. Jennifer, I love you exactly as you are. Mm. Beautiful. Look at yourself in the mirror as you say it. Jennifer, I love you exactly as you are. So so healing, like talk Mm. about self-acceptance. And and sometimes it's very, very hard for people to do this. Yeah, especially yeah. looking at themselves, especially. It's, but that's where the it's so much more powerful and goes so much deeper if you can look in your eyes. That's right. Yeah. So affirmations can be helpful. Um, what I find even more powerful or as an adjunct to affirmations is visualization. Mm-hmm. But visualization, when we're not just seeing ourselves, we're actually feeling the emotional state. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that, piece that I think people miss. They don't, right? There's that that feeling state is where the magic happens. That's right. That's where we're creating the attunement, that energetic attunement I was just talking about. So breath, breath meditation, visualization, um, and I do a self empathy practice, and that self empathy practice looks like, you know, 
what is what is the observation, maybe something that's feeling sticky or hard for me, or maybe something that I want to acknowledge and celebrate. Um, and and so it's it's uh, you know the observation of the situation. It's the the sensations I'm feeling in my body, the emotions that are accompanying that sensation and that observation, the thoughts that I'm having, all the inner critic stuff. And, and then what are the underlying needs that I'm identifying for myself? So that, that's the self-empathy practice. So those are things. daily, Jennifer? Do you do that every morning? I do. I go as far as to record a video of myself. Um, oh, like I, I, I write it down, but then I record myself in Marco Polo and then I save it into a sauna. So I have, a, I keep my log of my um, self-empathy practice that way. Is this an hour long thing that you do every morning? Just it's curious. a little, it's a little bit longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually Talk there's about self-love. Of, That's awesome. Yeah. And there's usually some pendiculation or kind of body movement. Um, that I exercise and I do along with that. Beautiful. Um, you know, I know you talk about, um, you have a philosophy on living wealthy. I'm wondering, can you leave the women listening with one tip on how loving themselves can help them live wealthy? Hmm. If I may, I'll kind of do it in in a form of um, almost like a wish for them. Mm, please. Yeah. And and that is to say, you matter. You matter more than the idea of what you think you're supposed to be or do. Mm. And you matter more than the task of all your resolutions or financial goals or plans. And you matter more than the fear and the guilt and the shame that keeps you hiding. So I dare you. I dare you to feel free. I dare you to love yourself. I dare you to live wealthy. Hmm, beautiful. What a lovely way to end. This has been such a great conversation. So interesting. And I, I feel like I've learned some things I've never heard of before. And, and I'm happy to have had you share what you've done, um, what you have today. Can you um, let us know where we can learn more about you and your work, Jennifer? Where can I direct people? Yeah, absolutely. Well, through the Living Wealthy Institute, which you can find on jenniferlove.com. Um, come over if someone wants to have a conversation. Um, there's a discovery form that you can fill out and uh, we'll connect. You can also find me on Instagram at the Jennifer Love. At Jennifer Love? Is there, is it, you have your full name? It's the Jennifer Love. The Jennifer Love. Okay, mm-hmm. I will for sure link that. Um, thank you for your time today. This has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you, Michelle. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast right now on your phone and to leave a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you are interested in continuing the conversation about the topic that was discussed in any episode, you can leave a comment over at thegoodlifecoach.com. For that particular episode, you can also access all of the show notes. And while you're there, I'd love to invite you to be a part of the community where you will get an email from me once a week with more inspiration and tips to own your life and love yourself. Thanks as always for tuning in. And I'll look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.